I want to really continue our semi little series as much as we do series on our values. Uh, and the reason is uh, because I, I've been realizing afresh over the last few weeks how really, really important it is uh, to be values based uh, because we, we want to go in a direction and we want to know the direction we're going in and why. We want to know who we are. And values are the way uh, that we hold ourselves accountable uh, for our activities, uh, our teaching, everything. And uh, today, I want to look at the value of supernatural ministry. And uh, I want to be a little bit practical. Supernatural ministry, both in church gathered and in the context of church scattered, in the marketplace, uh, in, in the shops, uh, in the office, on the factory floor, with our next door neighbours, in, in every way. And we as a church, from the beginning, we have been longing to see God move by his spirit among us and through us. And uh, I just want to do a little refresher uh, for those who have been part of the church for a while uh, as to what we believe in this and how we can grow in it as individuals and as a church because we have a long way to go. And before you switch off, I want to say there's seven points, but they're going to go brief. I'll probably go a little bit more in the first few, but we will get there uh, in time to finish on time. Point number one, the first thing is that we need to know is it's all about love. It's not about power. <clears throat> when we're not wanting to see God move uh, in greater ways among us and through us because we're on a power trip. It's about love and the context is loving people. Uh, Paul says, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, after that great, wonderful chapter on what love is, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. We, we're told to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. We're not told to be passive about them. We're not told, well, if you have the attitude, well, if God gives a gift, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's fine. No, 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 we're told to eagerly desire but the reason we're to eagerly desire is because we make love our aim. The aim is that we reveal, that we show, that we communicate God's love to people around us, whether in the context of church gathered or in the context of church scattered. The aim is love. The reason is love. When Jesus walked this earth, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. He raised the dead. He didn't just say good news. He was good news. He was filled with compassion. We see it again and again and again. You know, he, he went to be, he gravitated to the broken. He gravitated to those who were bound by physical illness or by other kinds of illness. And he set them free. He inevitably set them free. And his motivation was love. And we see uh, that in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church, exactly the same thing. God is love, and so he reveals himself, and he wants to give us his love. And the way we receive his love for others 
is when we know his love for us because it's an overflow of his love for us. And that means our motivation is not to be able to tell a great story, is not to pass some super spiritual litmus test. Our motivation is we want the best for others. And so that's why, that's why we want to move in the power of the Spirit. It's not about having a love of power. It's about the power of his love flowing through us. Secondly, uh, we want to communicate the good news of Jesus by every means possible. Um, I will become all things to all men, to all people, says Paul, so that by every means I might win some. And uh, power evangelism, which is a title for what we're talking about, um, is, is one kind of evangelism. It's not meant to be the only kind. And there's two mistakes that often are made in the church of Jesus. Some say, no, 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 it's just proclamation evangelism. It's just preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so that the whole power thing, the whole praying for healing, the whole praying for people to be filled with his presence, the whole praying for, for revelation, for words, prophetic words that cut through to people's hearts, that's not really part of it. That's one mistake that can be made in the church. The other mistake um, is that it's all about this. And uh, we, we end up, we stop preaching Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. And we become uh, immersed in, uh, in power ministry and in having experiences of God and in giving one another experiences uh, of the spirit. And both miss the point both miss the point. We're to use everything. We, we believe in proclamation evangelism, speaking the good news of the kingdom. We believe in friendship evangelism, getting beside people genuinely, being good news, loving people where they are, uh, being the best friends to people that we can be, whether it's in church or out of church. We believe in servant evangelism, you know, serving the community around us, uh, feeding the hungry and not feeling that we have to issue a press release about it, uh, clothing the naked, uh, seeing who's lonely and getting beside them, uh, in investing in people because it's for their sake, not that we might look good. In, we talked the other week about investing in obscurity finding ways of showing God's love to people with, without only God and that person ever knowing. You know, that's what it is. It's, and power evangelism, if you want to call it that, I'm not sure I'm keen on that title, it's part of that. It's part of that. And we see it in the Acts of the Apostle. We see it in the story of the early church. They did it all. They sold their possessions and they gave to all who had need. They met together daily and broke bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. Friendship, um, uh, servant evangelism. Uh, they, they, they proclaimed Jesus. That Many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Many were healed and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It all came together. And so we want to move in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the context of setting people free of the things that bind them as part of the whole thing.
as part of the whole thing. So by every means. Three, uh, we need the gift of faith. Uh, and, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, says the writer to the Hebrews. For, uh, for anyone who comes to God must believe, one, that he exists, and two, that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, it's faith. Faith pleases God. It's faith. It's by faith that, that mountains get moved. It's by faith that people get set free. But we need to understand, and I just want to shout this out, it's not faith in my faith. It's not a, we turn everything into it being about me. It's not about, it's not faith in my faith, it's faith in him. I think it was, who was it that said, it was D.L. Moody that said, it's not about having a great faith in God. Well, I don't know why I looked at him. He hasn't got a clue. It's not about having great... I've done it again. Uh -huh. It's not about having a great faith in God. It's about having faith in the great God. He is the object of our faith. He is the subject of our faith. He is the, 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 the one that we look at. And it's faith in his character. It's faith in, in his personality. It's knowing him enough that we trust him that we, we completely trust in his goodness, in his compassion, in his gentleness, in his mercy. I believe with all my heart in these days that the greatest need of the Christian is not have a six, find a six-step approach to dealing with anxiety or a five-step approach to, to making your marriage better or, or a three-step approach to intercession. It's not about that. I mean, I, I believe in all those things. But it's, it's the greatest need, the number one need, is to know Jesus, is to know him better, is to be immersed in his kindness, it's to be overwhelmed by his beauty and his glory. Because when we get that right, when we see him, you, you can't really see him and not love him. You can't. If you don't love him, you, haven't, you don't really know him. Because to know him is to love him unless you're a demon, to know him is, and they don't really know him. They know about him. That's why they tremble with fear. We tremble with a different kind of fear. We tremble with the fear that is an overwhelming love. We tremble with, a, with, with, an, with an awe of him. It was described recently to me, just this week, as, as, as you know, a bridegroom who sees his bride um, begin to come down the aisle and I know this is the romantic version uh, but he sees his, his bride coming he first turns and he sees her and he is overwhelmed by her beauty he is overwhelmed by oh my goodness and, and it's like he can't look at her for a second he's so overwhelmed but he can't look away it, that's what it means and, and it's like there's two things that he thinks he thinks she's so amazing She's so wonderful. Why would she want to spend the rest of her life with me? And then he thinks, she wants to spend the rest of her life with me. And how much more? That's just a tiny picture of what it, of what it is when we see him. God, you're so incredible. You're so incredible. Uh, you're so amazing. Uh, 
I can hardly look at you, but I can't look away. It's not being afraid. The fear of the Lord is not, is not running from him in afraid. It's running to him in trembling, in rejoicing, because he is so good. And that's where we put our faith. The more we know him, the more we trust him. The more we know his, his constant, consistent, never-changing love, the more we will have faith in the fact that he wants to use us. And the more we will have faith in what he wants to do in us and through us for the sake of the world. You know, knowledge on its own is just not enough. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And knowledge that results in, in love is what we're about. It's revelation knowledge. And, and you know, there's a saying, there was a saying years ago, um, everyone loves a lover. Well, I want to update it. I think everyone will lo would love a real lover of Jesus. There's something attractive about people who are immersed in Jesus. And, and what I'm talking about, what we're talking about for in, in our church, in this fellowship, is to be a church that, you know what? I'm ambitious that we are known as the church that really loves God, really loves God more than anything. We're a people who pursue his presence because where else would we be? Where else would we want to go? So it is faith in him and it is faith in, in the fact that he wants to use me. Yes, I'm not good enough. Yes, I'm not intelligent enough. Yes, I'm not, I'm not gifted enough. But he doesn't mind. He wants to use me. Years ago, I came across a guy who became a friend of mine called Blaine Cook. He worked with John Wimber. And I saw God use Blaine in amazing ways. Um, and uh, I, was like, I was like puzzled uh, that, you know, I, I loved it. I, and, but I was also a bit annoyed. And I said to Blaine once, I said, why is it that God uses you a lot more than he uses me? And Blaine looked at me and he said, do you want to know the answer to that? Do you really want to know? And I said, yes. And he said, Two reasons. One, because I have a high expectation that God will use me. You don't. Ouch. And he said, secondly, I made an agreement with God that if I felt he was speaking to me, whatever he said, I was going to say it and not censor it. So I would say everything, even if in my, in my brain... My brain was telling me, oh, no, no one will respond to that. That's too specific. And I've, I've realized that both of those are true. And so it's, it's having faith that God wants to use us, that he has a plan for us. However weak we feel, on our worst days, on our worst days, he couldn't love us any less. Anyway, I'm going on about that. So it's faith in his character that, that he, he, he is for us. He really is for you. And he smiles at you. And he takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in me. I, I love it. It's the truth. 
And, it, and the truth doesn't make you arrogant. The truth humbles you. You take pleasure in me. Really? Really? Wow. I'm going to bask in your pleasure. And I will take pleasure in the God who takes pleasure in me. That's how it works. That's how any relationship works. Number four, very quickly, I'm speeding up now. Uh, number four, if we, God's going to use us, we need to learn to listen. We really do need to learn to listen. I, um, uh, Wayne Drain, our friend, um, uh, has said more than once, he believes that 80% of the prophetic um, is, simply, is simply paying attention. And it's paying attention to what God is, is saying. It's learning to listen. And in order to listen, we need to be still. Be still and know that I am God. That's what the Lord says in, in one of the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. God is often not in the earthquake, the wind or the fire, but he's in the gentle whisper, the still small voice. And we're activists. Uh, it's part of being labelled charismatic, evangelical, whatever our label is. Uh, but it's also part of being in an activist world. And we need to learn the art of contemplation. Just learning just to be. And you see, it's about relationship. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are given. But so often we think of the, of the gifts as these things, that, that parcels that are come down from heaven, rather than a relationship that is formed. God speaks in the context of relationship. And yes, there are gifts, but the gifts are used in the context of relationship with him. Otherwise, we're robots. Otherwise, we're automatons. And we're not meant to be that. He, he does everything relationally because he is a relational God. So it's learning to listen and it's being still. It's being still. And as we learn to pay attention, you know, it's asking, God, what do you want to do today? Not always, but as, as often as I can remember, I'm trying to be honest, uh, when I wake up in the morning, um, I, I, there's these words of Paul to the Ephesians um, that spring in my mind. Uh, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do works, to do good works, which God, cre which God created beforehand for us to do. And I know it's the, 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 the burden of that scripture is wider than what I'm going to say, but I love to think of it like this. I wake up in the morning and I think, God, while I was asleep, you were, you were creating good works for me to do today. And my job is to discover the good works that you were preparing that you were preparing for me to do. And, and so when I think of it like that, I become more alert. I become more, what are you saying, Lord? Where, where, where's this going? What are you doing? It, and, and, and even in lockdown, you know, it can be a simple thing. It can be, oh, I'm, this person's just come into my, my mind. Should I just send them a little text saying, hi, hope you're well, thinking of you. Maybe a little Facebook message. Maybe a little something like that. You've no idea. It seems so simple. We think of the supernatural as it has to be something grand. No, it, it's simple acts of love. It can be maybe cooking a meal for a neighbour. It, it can be 
you know, popping a note to someone. It can be a simple, simple thing that's let, if we pay attention, is this a good work that you've prepared beforehand for me to do, Lord? Well, it might be. And you know what? When we do it, it becomes obvious that it was because we're, we're, we're to do works of service and to, to show God's love. And it's in that context that the Spirit moves most powerfully. It really, really is in that context. And so it's learning to listen. There's so many examples. I just want to tell you one. I've, I've not been good at this and uh, I still get it wrong, but I decided a while ago I was going to go for it, whatever. And, and, it, and just paying attention can change so many things, change circumstances. I remember years ago, we had Ben Cantillon here, um, as, and, and he was, he was our, our do-everything musician. Uh, he would play keyboard for the worship team. He would play drums. He often played guitar. Um, he was a, a great musician, but he, he was a, a versatile uh, musician. And I just thought of him as Ben is our good musician. And then one day, I was on the plane, I can't remember where I was coming from, but I remember I was just looking out the window and I was just sitting there looking out the window and suddenly this gentle thought, this little thought came into my head, ask Ben Cantillon to lead worship. And my first response was, no way, he's just a muso. And anyone who knows musicians know that being a musician does not make you a worship leader. You know, they, most of them want to be pop stars you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to ask a muso to be a worship leader. Uh, it needs someone who's a bit of a theologian. And um, so I dismissed it. And then I just stayed in that place. And by the end of the flight, I was like, no, you're saying this, God. You are saying this. And then when I saw Ben, I said to him, hey, Ben, um, uh, I'd like you to lead worship in three weeks' time. So just telling you now, so you prepare at church. And he looked at me and he said, are you serious? What, 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 what made you ask me? And I said, well, it's a little bit strange. I would never have thought of you doing that. You're a drummer. And what drummers know how to lead worship? That's another little joke, by the way. And, um, and I, said, I said, but I was on the plane uh, a, a couple of days ago and uh, I just felt God say, ask Ben to lead worship. And he teared up. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but a few days ago, I felt God say to me, Ben, now is your time to begin to lead worship. And I said to God, God, if that's really you, you're going to have to tell Mike because I can't. Isn't that amazing? And it was so simple. And now he's, he's yeah, he's led worship all over the world. Not that that matters. But, but it's like just a simple little thing. And that's the next thing. Listen, and then number five is obey. Is obey. Be obedient to what he says. I, it could have been so easy not to have said anything to Ben and said, nah, it doesn't make sense to me. But when you long for God to move, you obey. And obedience comes from love. It comes from loving him. If you love me, you will obey my commands says Jesus in John 15. And he also says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And obedience involves 
the risk of faith. It, and, and it's being open to, we could be wrong. We could be wrong, but we're going to go for it anyway. And then number six, we're nearly there. Don't let failure stop you. That's a huge one. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like failing because I want to look good. But I have learned over the years not to be phased by failure. And in my case, the way God's taught me is through having loads of failures and discovering that failure doesn't kill you, that it's actually okay. But so often when, when we fail, we, we, we say, hey, I'm not going to have the humiliation of that. I'm not going to try again. You know what? God is often testing our mettle in the place of failure. The way we grow is by learning through failure. We learn more from apparent failure than we do from success. It's a, it's, it's a rule of life, and it's certainly a rule for doing this. It's choosing to keep going. And the reason we choose to keep going is when we are convinced from Scripture, we are convinced in, in the depths of our being that this is important. I'm not giving up. I'm going to learn. And the people who succeed are so often those who have failed countless times. Um, I've forgotten her name, Andy, the lady that wrote the, um, um, the Harry Potter books. J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. You know, I love her story. You know, she wrote so much before she wrote Harry Potter. She sent so many books to publishers and it was turned down, turned down, turned down. She could have given up and she could have done something else, but she didn't give up and the, the rest is history. And we see that again and again and again in the secular world. Keep going. And that leads us to the seventh one, which is linked to that, perseverance. Perseverance is the missing gift in the church of Jesus today. And it's the missing gift in our culture, resilience. Resilience, walking through failure. And do you know what? We persevere when, when we are passionate about certain values, when we are passionate about certain things, when for us as Christians, when God has written something in the depths of our being, <clears throat> I want to tell you, I, um, I, tr I don't say this very often because no one likes saying about the things that went wrong, uh, but before I pl we planted Soul Survivor Watford about 29 years ago, 11 of us came uh, to Watford to plant. Um, before we planted uh, Soul Survivor Watford, I tried to plant two churches and they both were utter failures. I made terrible mistakes. I tried to plant a church in Hemel Hempstead and it all went wrong. And then I tried, <clears throat> actually, we did plant a church, I did plant a church in Watford and that went horrifically wrong. Uh, I got a leadership together who were folk from different churches in Watford who were disaffected, who when they heard we were planting a church said, we're going to join you. And I, I, I got them into a leadership team. I didn't know them that well. And basically, to cut a long story short, partly because there wasn't any depth of relationship, partly because I wasn't very good, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, my leadership team decided they didn't want me to be the leader. And they told me so. And uh, I had to leave. And uh, that was humiliating. And that was incredibly painful. 
And having had two failures, the temptation, I remember it was like, I never want to do that again. I'm not putting myself in that place again. I'll go and become an assistant something somewhere where I, I, I'm, I'm not exposed like that. I never want to go through that again. But you know what? At the point of my deepest failure, at the point of the greatest pain, I discovered something that I was utterly passionate at reaching young people with the good news of Jesus. And my desperation, it was in the core of my being, was greater than my fear of failure again. And so we went for it. And so we went for it. And do you know, perseverance for the Christian comes when we are absolutely committed to what he has told us to do, what he has put in our DNA. And that's why we as a church, as individuals, and as a church family, we want to persevere in this ministry of bringing, bringing freedom in the presence of Jesus, being pursuers of the presence of God in our church, in our services, in our connect groups, and also out on the streets. And we want, and I finish with this, we want to plant churches that will have the same DNA. This is why it's important that we express it now, that we say it now. And just to finish, I'll say what I said at the beginning. It is all about Jesus. We want, it all, we want him to be the centre, not us, not us. So let's stop. It's, it's, folks, it's not, it's not about prayer. It is not about prayer. It's about Jesus, the object of prayer. It's not about faith. It's about Jesus, the object of faith. It's not about worship. It's about worshipping Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's be immersed, saturated, overwhelmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's put a stake in the ground. Let's, let's put a marker that above all, we want to be a people. We, as we come back together gradually over the next months, physically, I know we're together in every other way. We want to be a people where it, he's the celebrity, if we can call him that. He's the centre. He's the object. He's the subject. He's, he's our great desire. He is our magnificent obsession. And everything else flows from that. Everything else flows from that.